This is lesson number nine, and we call it Tenacious Faith Never Quits. And again, as our introduction, we're not against medicine or healing, but to, to say that God would put sickness or disease on us to teach us something is absolutely ridiculous. At the same time, to only trust in medicine and doctors is absolutely ridiculous. Thank God for medicine, thank God for doctors, thank God for x-rays and penicillin and amoxicillin and painkillers, thank God for all of that. But even that has failed. Uh, even with all of the heightened uh, hysteria concerning Ebola and pandemics, you know, used to the t word term was epidemic, and then all of a sudden within the last 10 years we start hearing terms like pandemic, which means worldwide sickness, wiping out chunks of population. There'll come a time when even doctors can't fix that fast enough. Even with this Ebola thing, they've had to wait for enough Americans to get sick before the Americans started working on a vaccination for it. And then it's amazing how quickly we can turn one out. But as long as it's black Africa, well, that's their problem. Just an observation I've made in the news. Nothing wrong with doctors, but even doctors are limited in their ability. We often, because we're not doctors, I mean, we got a, we got a med, uh, dentist here and a, and a doctor of civil engineering here, but here we aren't necessarily medical doctors, so we kind of think they're superheroes, or we think that they're superpowered is what I mean by thank God they are heroes, but superpowered, but even they have bad marriages from time to time, home problems, they have their own health problems, they have their, there's even an epidemic of doctors abusing their own drugs, that, you know, they have their own issues. What happens if you get a doctor who has disease himself? Of course, you guys know, because I talk about it a lot, my mother is a nurse, and she works at a big, prestigious hospital. And uh, she was with, visiting with us this weekend, and she was telling about one of her fellow nurses who is responsible for recovery out of surgery. And I guess current laws say one nurse to three patients. One nurse to three patients. And they brought her four and five patients. And she said, listen, I cannot handle four or five patients in recovery. I can't take their stats. I can't take their vitals. If they code, I can't take care of that. She said, you bring me one more, I'm walking. And the nurse said, okay. And walked out and sometime later brought her a sixth patient. And this nurse, my mama's friend said, there's not even enough hookups to monitor them. There's not even enough, you know, little bedside, EKG, whatever thing. I don't know the terminology. She said, we don't even have enough of those in recovery. You have given me five patients. You give me one more, I walk. Now think about that. As I've told you, the hospital, it's very prestigious. In fact, it's Tennessee's only Ebola certified thing because it can handle all the radiation fallout from Oak Ridge. So this is where they'll send all, all the Ebola people because it has the ability to quarantine folks. And they don't even, they can't even with human resources manage their own sick coming out of basic surgeries. So this past week, they brought her a sixth one. She went home and abandoned six patients. Now, what if you're one of those trusting this prestigious hospital to take care of you? Knowing the nurses just had it, number one, half your patients aren't even hooked up to be monitored or tied to the nurse's station. And the other nurses bringing in don't even care. Nobody's taking it higher up. The medicine won't necessarily fail It'll be human power, human excellence, human ability, human exhaustion, human fatigue. So I don't say that to terrify you of medicine, but just so you have a very careful, balanced faith. Thank God for medicine, but thank God for God. Lord, you take, 
you take care of me when I go to this hospital. You take care of me in the emergency room. You, you give me the best doctors. You give me the best nurses. You give me no mix-ups in the, in the laboratory, no mix-ups in, in the pharmacy, no mix-ups in my blood work. Because all this is open for human error. Amen. And the medical profession, I mean, I could tell you lots of stories like this. That's just downright terrifying. We want to make sure we trust in Jesus Christ. I do this, I say these kind of things to make us say, all right, Lord Jesus, uh, help us, help us. We need your help. So tenacious faith never quits. Tenacity, the quality or fact of being able to grip something. So you just hang on to it. The quality or fact of being very determined. The quality or fact of being persistent. This is what we mean by tenacious faith. It's a faith that grips something. You're healing in this instance. It could be salvation for a loved one. It could be the finances you need for a mission trip or to put your kids through college. Christians in America too easily quit because there's too many plan Bs. Faith, though, grabs a hold of God's word and never, ever lets go. It's a, it's a faith that is determined. It's a faith that is persistent. Often in America, in, in American religious circles, we pray for something once or twice, and if it doesn't happen that week, well, then we fall into the very, very dangerous religious fault of saying, well, it must not be God's will. Well, sometimes God's will takes 25 years to come to pass. Just ask Abraham and Sarah. What if they had sex once and said, well, we didn't get pregnant. Must not be God's will. No, God said. And even when the Lord said, he appeared the last time and said, uh, a year from now, you'll have a child. Well, that still took three months of practice. And then even once you do conceive, it takes you how many months to know? At least one, if not two or three, to be really sure. So now you're six months into the year, and you got six months till this thing has to come to pass before Sarah begins to realize, you know what, I, I have missed my cycle two or three times. I'm having morning sickness. Maybe God was telling the truth. Even for them, they had to believe God and trust God, and they couldn't just pray once and think they had it. So we have to be tenacious. We don't quit. We determine, we labor, we war, we battle in faith because that's tenacity. The fight to maintain health and healing is just that, a fight. This battle often takes its toll on the heart and mind of a sick Christian. If you've ever battled sickness for a long time, you can totally understand why some folks just give up. And they say, I'm, I'm done. I'm not fighting this anymore because it is fatiguing. If that heart and that desire isn't greater than the pain and then the inconvenience and then just the hurt, many Christians, many just even heathen just give up and say, I just want to die. Just let me die. Uh, in fact, I, we have a family friend who battled cancer once and beat it. And then in her 50s, she got cancer again. And uh, my, one of my family members ran into her and said, hey, what's going on? And she said, oh, you didn't hear? No, uh, I've got cancer again. So go ahead and give me a hug and a kiss because this is the last time you're going to see me because I'm not fighting it again. I can't go through it. I don't want to go through the chemo again. I don't want to go through the radiation again. They tell me I got a year to live if I don't uh, do anything and I'm not doing anything because I don't want to fight it. So this is probably the last time you're going to see me. They had just already resolved. I ain't fighting it. And so we have to have this thing in us that when sickness comes, we don't quit, we don't give up, and we certainly don't cope. Oftentimes we cope with the most minor of insignificant things because they're minor, not realizing that the minor things are what we cut our spiritual teeth on. 
The minor things are what we build our faith on. We build our faith on the headache, on the allergies. We build our faith on, on the cut. We build our faith on the minor ailments because there may come a time when something bigger attacks you and you've got to fight that thing. With, again, our friend, Mr. Charlie, who's fighting cancer, he's always been a fighter. And uh, he was telling us that even his coach, he ran into one of his coaches and, and Charlie said, I've got cancer, but I'm not quitting. And his coach said, well, I didn't expect you to. You never have before. But what happens if you live a lifetime of quitting? What if your life is defined by failed endeavors? What if your lifestyle, even just in sports, in hobbies, what if your lifestyle is defined and your whole personal past track, rec track record of faith is quit? What happens when something major hits you? You will know you're not a fighter. You will know you've never succeeded at anything. And you will all instantly come out of the gate fighting this significant sickness with a bad track record and no confidence. And if that's the case, it may end up your family bury you. That's why we have to fight the little fights. We have to pray and de declare the word of God over aspirin and over allergy medicine and over cold medicine and be willing to stand and fight because there's one thing guaranteed. You're not going to get to heaven without fighting something. So you might as well look at everything as a personal battle to fight and win and develop a track record of winning. Even if you don't win, at least you went down and you should see the other guy. You know, he, he, I may not have won that one, but they went home limping pretty good too. I may not have, I may have to do this or that, but they went away missing a nub and a leg and an arm too. Too many Christians though, we just tuck tail and quit and we scurry home to our own comfort zone. Jesus Christ has not called us to a comfort zone. He's given us a comforter that we might have comfort in the middle of a war zone. And so this all speaks to tenacious faith. Many Christians have succumbed to death by simply giving up the battle against symptoms and sickness. It's often been noted that Christians, they can quote you all of their medicine and all the milligrams and the prescriptions and all the doctors and, and all the side effects, but they can't hardly quote you any healing scriptures or any, or any scriptures that declare it's God's will for us to be healthy. And if that's the case, then you end up becoming more a disciple of medicine and the pharmacy than you do the Bible and Jesus Christ. And know your medicine, absolutely. Know what you can and can't take it with, but also know four or five verses to pray over every pill, every shot, every this, every that, every side effect. When we take medicine in our household, we pray against side effects. Whenever we have to take medicine, we declare it works and we don't have to take it long. And even as it is into our late 30s, you know, we're still, we don't take any medicine. Now, if something comes up, we will. Uh, we know we give our kids medicine. We're not these weird people that our kids die. Abs has an ear infection now. She's on amoxicillin. No big deal. Praise God. But what you've got to do is you've got to develop a faith that fights things and moves on. Too many of us, we buckle and cower to our comfort zone, coping with the very thing God died for. Why did Jesus Christ have to die for it if he knew you were going to cope with it? right? That's kind of a slap in the face. If I knew you weren't going to use it, I would have never purchased it for you. <laughs> Nobody, come Christmas time, we're in the holiday seasons here in a few weeks. You want to buy people something that they'll use and not re-gift or exchange. What can they use? And if I had known you would not have used it, I would have not wasted the money on it, right? So we have given, have been given a faith and the Bible says we labor, we war good warfare. By faith, we stand. 
We've been given faith because there's going to be battles. And if you never fight, if you always quit, why did God give you faith? We, the life that we now live in the flesh, we live by the faith of the Son of God that loved us and gave his life for us. So shame on any Christian that has been given the faith of Jesus Christ to live a life and they tuck tail and run with it. You never know what that faith is capable of till you take, turn and stand and start using it. It's a lot of fun. It's a lot of work, which America seems to be allergic to, but it is a lot of fun. And you end up having a life full of so many testimonies and so many beautiful accomplishments and so many victories and victor's crowns and trophies. But those that run, one thing they have for sure is strong legs. And that's all they have. But you know, if you run into the battle, you get strong legs too. Amen. We must be determined in our hearts to go the distance in prayer and not settle for sickness. We must be determined in our hearts to go the distance in prayer. That's the hard part. Um, who was pointing it out to me? Maybe it was Mr. Cephas, with the stuff going on at the high school right now. And he said, you know, Pastor, everybody complains that we don't have prayer in school anymore, but how many of those folks actually pray? Everybody's complaining. Oh, they took prayer out of school. Well, you are using it. <laughs> and you know, you can still pray at your house and you can still pray in the carpool. And who's to stop you from praying in school? They can't stop you. Just sit there and pray. Every, we just mostly like to complain. But here again, we got to pray, 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 pray. This lesson will look at examples of those who did not quit in their search for healing. Let, let me just step off the subject because it's what the Lord's saying. We don't want to get to the end of our life and have nothing but a track record of running and quitting. We don't want to get to the end of our life and have a track record of running and quitting. We want to make sure the track record of our life is battle, victory, battle, retreat, battle, victory, battle, battle, victory, hard victory, near loss, loss, but it was a close one, but I got back up and I fought again. We want to make sure we go to heaven battle-hardened with lots of victories, lots of scars, sure, lots of ache, sure, but a battle-hardened, battle-decorated soldier of the cross. We do not want to get to heaven having lived like an American that always retreats, that always looks for the easiest avenue. One of my maxims I coined lately is that lukewarm Christians are a lot like water. They will always run the easiest course. We don't want to be like water in that regard. Water is always looking for the easiest avenue out. It always flows with gravity, flows to the lowest point. It never wants to stand. It cannot stand. You must make it hard before it will stand. And once water becomes hard, it doesn't just stand. It pulverizes mountains. And it destroys rocks and boulders. We want to make sure as Christians, even if you're not fighting for healing in your body, you're probably fighting something. You want to make sure as Christians, you use your faith to win battle after battle, and you don't retreat unless the Lord tells you to. And the Lord doesn't always tell you to retreat, so you can't use him as your escape. Oh, the Lord said to run. Well, he's he been telling you to run the whole, your whole life? We want to make sure we use the faith that God's given us to put our foot down and say, no, I rebuke this in Jesus' name. I don't quit. I don't retreat. My life will not be defined by another failed attempt. Some Christians, that's all they have is a whole mountain of failed attempts. At some point, you just got to stop and get good at something and stick it out. Amen.
All right, let's go on to healing now. Jesus demonstrated tenacious faith. Well, if he did it, we got to do it. Jesus Christ demonstrated tenacious and unflinching faith when it came to healing. Mark 8, 22, and he came to Beth- Bethsaida and they bring a blind man unto him and besought him to touch him. And he took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the town. And when he had spit on his eyes and put his hands upon him, isn't that weird? Jesus spits in this guy's eyes. So did he hawk up a loogie? You know, if he's been walking, he's probably dehydrated. I mean, you know, even Jesus had to drink. I mean, you stop and think. Of it. Oftentimes we just blow through the Bible in our reading, but look at all the details. He takes him out of town. So he leaves the whole congregation behind. It's just him and Jesus. And he spits in this guy's eyes. The guy's blind. I guess he blinked a lot too. And then he laid hands on him. And he asked him if he saw aught. He said, no, I see loogies. You spit in my eyes. <laughs> and he looked up and he said, I see men as trees walking. That tells us two things. This man wasn't born blind. Because what does a blind man know about trees? Never seen it before. So he wasn't born this way. So something happened, maybe a degenerative disease, maybe crime and punishment. Maybe he had his eyes put out. We don't know. Maybe he had holes in his eyes and the Lord spit into those cavities to help create something. We don't know. But notice the Lord Jesus Christ spits in his eyes lays hands on him, and the first time he prays for him, he doesn't finish the work. It's a half miracle. How do you see? I see men walking as trees. Uh, now, unless you're talking Macbeth and how they made the trees walk towards the evil king, uh, this isn't a good enough healing. This is better than no he- seeing, but this isn't good enough. So Jesus isn't satisfied. So what does Jesus do? After that, he put his hands again upon his eyes. And made him look up, and he was restored and saw every man clearly. Notice Jesus Christ, the Son of God, his prayers did not fully accomplish something the first time. So he didn't stop like an American Christian and say, well, it must not be the will of God. I pulled the jackpot lotto arm once, and this is what you get. He said, no, you know what? Prayer's free. God's still listening. Let's go again. Notice he didn't quit. Jesus Christ did not quit. And how discouraging must it be for the son of God that his prayers didn't work fully the first time? Probably nothing at all because he knows how prayer works because he's the one that taught us to pray without ceasing, to not be discouraged, to pray and not faint. We know that Jesus prayed constantly. Could he not just pray once and get it all the first time or did he have to live a constant lifestyle of prayer to keep the ball rolling? The son of God had to constantly pray to keep the ball rolling I think we're going to have to constantly pray to keep the ball of God rolling in our life. This blind man required two sessions of prayer from the Son of God to be fully restored. Jesus was not moved. He prayed again until the job was done. Would to God we would pray until the job is done. Instead of saying, well, you know, I've prayed for a month. I got better things to do. If you got better things to do, you must not have really needed it. Amen. And that's really what affects us is most of the time we don't really want it bad enough. This whole lesson we're going to look at, we're going to move pretty quickly through it. We're going to see person after person who did not have a plan B and they had nothing better to do than to get what they needed. And that's often what makes the difference. We often can cope. We can often limp around. We can often find some kind of spiritual skateboard to roll around on rather than run for God. When, when somebody who really wants it stops their whole lifestyle 
and focuses on this thing until it has got it. Because here's the deal. You can pay me now or you can pay me later. You can pay me for the next six months till you get it or you can hurt with this thing for the next 16 years. And when 16 years is coming by and gone, you'll wish you'd spent six months dealing with it. Right? Amen. Jesus taught tenacious faith. Of the many things Jesus Christ said about faith, perhaps the most useful aspect of faith in the arena of healing is tenacity. In Luke 11, the disciples asked Jesus to teach them to pray. After he taught them the Lord's Prayer, he continued by putting forth a prayer parable about a man interrupting his friend's sleep to request bread for a traveling guest. So all in the same context, all in the same teaching as teach us to pray, he tells you one of the other critical ingredients to prayer is you just don't quit asking. All right, think about that. Teach us to pray, Lord. So he gives them the model prayer, what we call the Lord's Prayer, and then that's not the end of the teaching. Then he comes up with the parable. Here's the parable. I say unto you, though he will not rise, of course, he gives him the parable. Uh, a guy was traveling and his, he had nothing to eat. And his friends got him late, so he goes to the, his friend's house and he knocks on the door. And his friend says, what do you want? I need some bread. Man, I'm in bed. My kids are in bed. Give me some bread. It is late. It is cold. Give me some bread. He says this, I say unto you, though he will not rise and give him because he is his friend. Just because you're the friend of God doesn't mean you're getting anything. Remember, Judas was the friend of God. What did he get? Hell? This whole friendship thing is a little overrated. Though he will not rise and give him because he is his friend, yet because of his importunity, shameless persistence. Would to God more Christians had that shameless persistence rather than shame? You can either be defined by shame or you can be defined by shameless persistence. Shame is nothing but pride anyway. You're ashamed because of pride. If you're humble, you can't ever be ashamed. You know, you look at somebody, you really want to borrow 10 more bucks? Yep, you got no shame. Sure don't. Can I have 10 bucks? Some people are too prideful to ask. Well, I could never do that. I would be ashamed. Shame, once you're born again, is nothing but pride. If you've been born again, if you've been blood-bought, what are you ashamed of? Get up and ask for it. Get up and do it again. You can either be defined your entire life by shame or you can be like this person Jesus is speaking highly of and have shameless importunity. How embarrassing is it? I'm out of bread. I'm gonna go knock on the door. I don't care how bad I gotta knock. I don't care that they're in bed. I gotta have bread for my friends. Because of his shameless persistence, he will rise and give him as many as he needs. What, how much do you want? Just go away. Uh, can I have some fish? Yes. Anything else? You got any goat's milk? Yes. Just go. I want to go to bed. He'll give him as much as he wants. And I say unto you, of course, same discourse on prayer. Ask and it shall be given you. Seek and you shall find. Knock and it will be opened unto you. For everyone that asks receives. Look, notice, everyone that asks receives. Not 50%, not 10%, not if God sees so fit to give it to you. Everyone that asks receives. He that seeks finds to him that knocks, it shall be open. We know the Greek says ask and keep asking. That's the imperative in the Greek language for the word ask. Seek and keep seeking. Knock and keep knocking. We often believe because we're Americans and we've been taught not to be rude or buggardly, quit bugging me, we think we're bugging God. Sometimes we just get tired of seeking. We just, we're seeking and seeking. Ooh, look, a new TV show. 
We seek and seek. Ooh, time to go on another vacation, you know, because we need so many of them. We seek and we seek and oh, oh look, a, a shiny nickel. And sometimes we just get tired of knocking. Amen. In this parable, the desired item was not that significant. It's just bread. Why didn't he wait for the morning? Why couldn't they go to bed on an empty stomach? Nevertheless, faith shamelessly sought it. I want you to be encouraged. There's nothing really in, it doesn't matter how insignificant what you need is, God is still available to supply the need. He's, if you're willing to talk to him about it, he's willing to listen. If it's important to you, it, it'll catch his attention. Amen. Faith is shamelessly persistent in prayer. Faith, if you have the God kind of faith working in you, it is shamelessly persistent in prayer. It doesn't stop asking, seeking, or knocking until it has obtained what it desires. Here's another parable in the same context. The unjust judge. He spake a parable unto this end that men ought always to pray and not faint. That means don't give up. So here's another example of not quitting. Saying there was in a city a judge which feared not God. I think that's talking about America. Neither regarded man. Yep, definitely America. And there was a widow in that city. And she came unto him saying, avenge me of mine adversary. And he would not for a while. And so she just quit and went back to her nursing home to watch Matlock. No, she wanted something. But afterward, he said within himself, though I fear not God nor regard man yet, because this widow troubles me, I will avenge her, lest by her continual coming she weary me. Notice her continual coming, her continual coming. He had no scruples, no morals. He wouldn't even do it because it was right. He did it because she kept coming and kept coming and kept coming. And the Lord goes on to say in this passage, how much more will your father, the righteous judge, avenge you and give you what you need? Amen. Tenacity, folks. In both of these parables, the subject is prayer. The point emphasized by Jesus in both parables is faith doesn't quit or give up. It keeps asking and pursuing until it obtains what it has need of. It keeps asking and pursuing until it obtains what it has need of. Do you realize how, how middle school playground it is for you to fall down, skin your knee, and quit in shame? That is so middle school playground, immature. If you're going to get good at something, whether it's, it's something for God, whether it's healing, you're going to have to be prepared for lots of failings. Why are we, I don't, know, I don't know how sometimes in our minds we think we got to do it right the first time. Are we so terrified of failing or coming short? Does the Bible not tell us we've all sinned and come short of the glory of God? Absolutely. So in our way to serving God, we ought to expect to fall down a couple of times. We ought to expect to make some mistakes. We ought to expect to bomb and then get back up and try it again. Think about those gymnasts and they do those uneven bars. I mean, just by the fact they're called uneven bars. They might as well call them, you know, wiggle bars or something. How many times do you think those kids splat? Over and over and over again. How about even in the Olympics when they miss the bars and they splat in front of the world? Why? They don't quit. They get back up. Even with tears in their eyes and humiliated in front of the world because they know they're better than that. And their coach, you know, because they're all about like this tall, throws them back up there and they finish out their routine. Would to God Christians could learn something from that. How much do we quit in shame because we missed it? Or we quit believing God for something because we didn't get it the first five times. 
my little girl watches this TV show called Daniel Tiger, which is like the next generation of Mr. Rogers. And she sings this little song, just keep trying, you'll get better. She goes through the house singing, just keep trying, you'll get better. So now when she wants me to do something, daddy, you ride in my car with me. I said, honey, I, I can't, I'm too big. You just keep trying, you'll get better. You sit right here, sweetie, I weigh, I'm beyond the capacity. Keep trying, daddy, you'll get better. Even a three-year-old gets it. And, and we try once, bomb, and quit. And then wonder why our life never goes anywhere. If a little three-year-old can learn watching a PBS show, just keep trying, you'll get better. We ought to just keep trying. Keep going after it. And both of these prayers, the subject is prayer. We must develop this kind of tenacity in our Christian walk. Jairus' daughter, Mark 5, 35 and 36. While he yet spake, there came from the rulers of the synagogue's house certain people which said, your daughter's dead. Why troublest thou the master any further? As soon as Jesus heard the word that was spoken, he says unto this Jairus, be not afraid, only believe. He said, don't quit. Think about this. He says, come pray for my daughter. She's really sick. And in between him getting Jesus and they're walking, we don't know how far they're walking. All of a sudden, I mean, that's, he thinks he's doing a good job. He's, he's apprehended Jesus as soon as possible, as soon as all the medical thing is played out. And on their way to go get the job done, the girl dies. And how many of us would quit? I think every one of us would unless you just had something rise up in you and you commanded your child to live. And Jesus can already see in Jairus, he's wanting to quit. And Jesus has to stop and look and say, hey, don't quit, only believe. Come on, let's keep walking. At that point, how many of us would have said, well, what's the point? The, whole, the, the certain that came from his household said, what's the point? No, he's the ruler of the synagogue. He's the local preacher. He's the local spiritual leader. He's the guy over the synagogue. That's their church. And his, probably his elders, his deacons said, too late. And Jesus tells him, don't quit, only believe, let's keep walking. It doesn't matter what the situation is that's dead in your life, just don't quit. You can resurrect this thing. And just because the doctors say you take a turn for the worse, you don't quit. You can have what you believe. When the report came that Jairus' daughter had passed away before Jesus could heal her, Jesus' command to Jairus was basically, don't quit and don't stop believing. And what was the end result? He raised her from the dead. Amen. The lunatic boy, Mark 9, 22. And oftentimes it's cast him in the fire and into the waters to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. Jesus said unto him, if thou canst believe, all things are possible to him that believes. This father was desperate for his son to be healed. The disciples had just been unsuccessful in casting out the demon. Think about it. They've been trying and trying and trying and trying. The nine disciples, because three of them are up on the mountain with Jesus. Peter, James, and John are up there. So that leaves the nine down. And they've been trying to cast out this demon to no success, no avail. And these guys have cast out demons everywhere. So how discouraging is it for, for this boy's father, who I thought we had the answer. Here are the Lord's disciples, and they can't do anything. He could have quit. He could have said, well, if they can't do it, nobody can. But he stuck around and pressed in to get a little bit stronger answer. Would to God we would do it. Well, we prayed three times. We had the elders lay hands on us. We've been in five prayer lines. We'll keep sticking around until Jesus shows up. Amen. 
The father was desperate for his son to be healed. The disciples had just been unsuccessful in casting out the demon. This whole conversation took place as the demon manifested, causing the boy to wallow and foam at the feet of the father and Jesus. How disheartening is that? Here's your boy having a seizure, and you're having a discussion with Jesus. Hey, it's often he's in the fire, often in the water. He just wants to destroy him. If you can do anything, have mercy on me. Don't, I mean, you'd want to get down there and hold your child and comfort them and pat them to the seizures past to the demon is done doing its thing. Jesus' response to the father's desperation was, don't quit and don't stop believing. He said, if you can believe, all things are possible. And now Jesus also gives the secret to this kind of success. The disciples said, why could we not cast it out? And Jesus said, this kind only comes out by prayer and fasting. And I like to point out that Jesus had just come down from the Mount of Transfiguration where he had been in prayer and he had been fasting. That's why he was able to do it and they couldn't. He had just come down from the Father, having been transfigured and his body became white raiment and white as light and he had gone, had gone without food. They'd been up there so long, uh, Peter, James, and John wanted to build tents to camp in. So we don't know how long it was. And that's why he was able to come down and just instantly with the word come out of him. But prayer and fasting, you don't give up, you pray some more and you fast some more. All these things are exactly what Americans don't want. We don't want to pray because we don't have the time. But apparently we do have the time to stay sick. Apparently we do have the time uh, to be weak. Apparently we do have the time to be broke. Apparently we do have the time to be full of shame. Apparently we have a life to waste. But if you would stop and make investments in prayer and even make some investments in fasting, you could build your spiritual, your spirit level, your faith level, and be a little bit more efficacious when you went to attack something in, in faith and prayer. Amen. Others that demonstrated tenacious faith. Hannah. I like, I like some of these Old Testament stories. Hannah is the first example in the Bible of a tenacious faith for healing. Her barrenness was a source of sorrow, shame, bitterness, and anger. She was constantly reminded of her barrenness and provoked by her adversary to the point of tears. Now, Hannah was a co-wife. In those days, the Lord hadn't dealt with polygamy, so they had multiple wives. Her other, her co-wife, which I don't even know how that works, uh, she was having lots of kids, and so it was a constant reminder she had none. So this thing's heavy on her heart. This is important to her. That is really one of the key ingredients to receiving anything from God. It has to be important to you. It has to be important to you. If it's not important to you, you will not seek, ask, or knock for it. If it's not important to you, this is your heart. Eh, I'd take it or leave it. And we've all been there in areas, and that's okay if it's just not important to you. But if it's not important to you, don't get upset when you pray once and you don't get it. You don't get it because it's not important to you. We see these examples over and over again, and we share them with you so you can see it didn't happen instantly for everybody. A lot of these people had to labor and travail and fight and labor and pray and fight until they got it. Here we see that with Hannah. She wanted this thing so bad. And again with Sarah, who had no son, 25 years she had to fight. 25 years Sarah and Abraham had to believe God and work at this thing until they got it. Who, 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 who believes God for 25 years without quitting? The father of our faith does. What an example. 
any good American Christian, if it doesn't happen in a week, it ain't God's will. So we're basing the will of God on what we see. Isn't that called walking by sight? Instead of walking by the word of God that God promised. She was constantly reminded of her barrenness and provoked by her adversary to the point of tears. However, Hannah never quit. Her tenacity drove her to the house of God in prayer. Notice, she went to the temple before Eli the high priest. She prayed in the temple and she requested this thing of God. It is perfectly acceptable and good if you want to come to church on your lunch break to seek God for what you have need of. I believe, now obviously you can pray in your car. You can pray in the deer stand. You can pray in your closet. You can pray with your family in the living room. You can pray in between football innings or or, uh, quarters if you want. I understand that. But I believe it catches God's eye when you do come to the house of God. Because, you know, the problem with the deer stand, it's convenient. In between football quarters and commercials, it's convenient. In the shower is convenient. Even at home is convenient. But to take time and come across town on your lunch break to fast and seek God, that's an inconvenient thing, and God will take note. However, Hannah never quit. Her tenacity drove her to the house of God in prayer. She requested a boy, and the Lord answered her prayer. It still took going home, making love to your spouse, waiting Anybody who's ever had to believe God for children or, you know, you were looking to get pregnant, you didn't just turn up pregnant, you know how sometimes that can be so discouraging that you're wanting to get pregnant and it just doesn't seem to be happening. She still had to override all those fears, override all that heartbreak and say, no, the Lord said, the man of God said, I can have the request of God, therefore I have it. Amen. We, we know sometimes the Bible just jumps over something in a verse and you got to put yourself in their shoes. The Lord said, I can have a baby. All right. I think her husband's name was Elkanah. Elkanah, let's go. Time to make a baby. And you know, he's thinking, we've done this for years. Nope, this is different. And you don't know until the month, two months, three months goes by. She gets morning sickness. She begins to show a little bit. Then she knows she's got it. You still have a mental battle to fight from the time she prays in the temple to the time she starts to show. And then you know how you mothers are. If your baby doesn't move for three or four days in a row, fear comes in. You, okay, you guys don't, I guess your wife never shared that with you. When the mamas get used to the babies moving and kicking and then the baby doesn't move or kick for two days, your brain can go crazy. What's wrong with my baby? Please jump, please move, please kick. All right, you guys look like you have no pulse this morning. I'm really trying to help you. I'm just putting you in her shoes, all the mental warfare and all the vain imagination she had to battle and still stay in faith. Amen. Her tenacity drove her to the house of God. She requested a boy she, and God answered her prayer. She mothered five more children. You missed that detail there in Samuel. She mothered five more children after Samuel. The Lord didn't just give her one. He opened the womb. Amen. The DeRoofing brothers. I like these guys. These four men were very determined to get their crippled friend healed. There is no evidence this guy even wanted to be healed. There's no evidence. He probably was having a pity party. Crippled, laid up in a bed. And these guys said, we're tired of this. We love you. We want to go hunt with you again. We want to go build a house with you again. I don't know. They were not going to take it. And you got to have friends around you in your life that look at you and say, if you won't get up and walk, we'll carry your lazy tail. We're going to get this thing for you. And every one of us needs people like that. A spouse that when we're moping and groping and belly aching and laying around, our spouse will say, get your butt up. I'm dragging you to the house of God. 
because there's a man there that can fix your laziness. <laughs> there's, I just want you to see there's no evidence this man who was healed had any faith, none whatsoever. He might have even been in a coma. We don't know. He could have just been in a giant coma, crippled, laid out, and their friend, their, his friend said, we love our friend too much. We know there is a savior, there's a rabbi in town, and he's healing everything. So when the large crowd prohibited these, men's from, these men from getting close to Jesus, they resor- resorted to the roof and, as the Greek states, dug through the roof in order to lower their friends. Because we know it was a mud, kind of a mud, adobe type thing. Probably timbers thatched, baked with mud. So you don't exactly get a sawzall out or a skill saw. So where'd they get the shovels? Probably stole them. I think I saw some shovels coming through the alley. Go get those. We'll get them back. Once this guy gets healed, nobody will care about their shovels anyway. So they dug. How long does it take to dig through a one foot thick dung or adobe roof ceiling? Probably a long time. And you know, the whole time Jesus is preaching, it's, he's much better than me because if that was happening, I'd have to stop and say, what, what? Seriously, somebody go look on the roof. You know, you guys go and have 15 potty breaks in a service and it distracts me. Little thimble bladder. (laughs) We can pray and lay hands on that though. I got to quickly because we got to lay hands on you still. I'm just having fun teaching. And they dug through the roof in order to lower the friend to the feet of Jesus. This was an act so tenacious that the Bible records when Jesus saw their faith, theirs, not his, their faith, he said unto the sick of the palsy, son, your sins be forgiven. Syrophoenician woman, this Canaanite woman desperately wanted a healing for her demonized daughter. She cried after Jesus only to have him ignore her. Then she cried after the disciples only to have them complain about her. Finally, she worshiped Jesus only to be called a dog. That doesn't sound like a hippie, snuggy Jesus. Her tenacity would not go away without a crumb for the dog. Man, if the Lord calls you a dog, say, well, would you at least pet this dog instead of getting your feelings hurt? Well, Lord, if you call me a whore, would you at least fellowship with this whore so I can come out of it instead of getting your feelings hurt? Jesus declared she was of great faith. The woman with the issue of blood spent all that she had on sick uh, doctors for 12 years and found no cure. She had spent all that she had on physicians. She was not a quitter. She said within herself, if I may but touch his clothes, I shall be whole. And the Lord says, your faith has made you whole. Blind Bartimaeus, this famous blind man desired to have his eyesight. As Jesus passed by, he cried out for mercy. Many in the crowd commanded him to hold his peace. But the Bible says he cried the more a great deal. When people tell you to quit, tell them to go away. Push even harder. His tenacity got the Lord's attention, gained him a face-to-face audience with Jesus, and got him healing. The common trait that seems to fuel the tenacity of these faith-filled examples is desperation. If you don't realize how desperate you are, you'll never act like it. Sometimes a doctor has to look at you and tell you how desperate the situation really is. Some Some folks are just so ignorant, they don't realize how desperate and dire their life even is, not even the area of healing. You know, some folks don't realize you're going to die and have never accomplished anything. And they don't see that as dire or desperate. They see that as comfort and nice. Desperation is readily apparent in these stories. We must ask ourselves, are we desperate for healing or have we already let go of the promise of healing and settled for symptoms? Habakkuk 2.3, for the vision is yet for an appointed time. So there's a vision God has for healing you. It is for an appointed time. But at the end, it shall speak and it not, and not lie. So don't give up on the vision. Don't give up on the promise. Though it tarry, wait for it. 
because it will surely come. It will not tarry. Never give up on the promises of God and just demonstrate tenacious faith. I will say this as we get ready to lay hands on people. I've got two or three things in my life I've been believing God for for probably 14 or 15 years, and I will not quit. I remember being in healing lines for this stuff back in 2000 and 2001. I will not quit. You can't tell me God's waiting on me. He's not, I mean, he's that, that I'm waiting on God. I'm not waiting on God. He's waiting on me. I don't put this thing on God. I put this thing because he told every one of them it was their faith. They were desperate. And so we're going to lay hands on, this, on you folks. Just We don't want to take too much time. We're already two minutes over for Sunday school. But just be, be encouraged. Don't quit. When I, uh, to get the healing of the warts, it took me five years. And then when it was done, it was done in an instant. But five years of believing, praying, confessing, and cursing those things. But then it came just in one Sunday evening service. Just, and I didn't even feel anything. Too much we wait for feelings. In fact, I, my story when I cursed those warts was at the end of one of Pastor Darren's sermons and I thought, well, I got nothing to curse. Oh, I guess I'll curse these warts. And then I was really thinking, this is so dumb. My head, this is so dumb, Pastor Darren. This, I feel like we're on Christian television. Look at your friend and tap them. Look at your friend and say that. Look at your friend and touch them three times. You know, all that dumb stuff. Point at something. I said, all right, this is dumb. Warts, I curse you. Get off my foot in Jesus' name. And it worked. No ooly-gooly bumps, no falling down in the floor, no burning honey all over my body like some people describe. I mean, that's great. If you have that, I didn't. Just go to judo and start picking the warts out and they just fall out of my foot. Thank God. If you need healing, if you believe in God, and again, let's be very quick about this. We're gonna lay hands on you briefly or quickly. We're doing this because we've taught for eight weeks on healing and I promise you we'd lay hands on you before I go to Africa. So really quick, just line up quick, 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 quick. Even if it was everybody, we could probably line the pulpit. Father, we thank you. Let's, let's pray this together. Father, thank you for healing. Thank you for the stripes of Jesus. Thank you for the prayer of faith. Thank you for the hands of the elders. I claim healing. I claim restoration. And by the stripes of Jesus, I was healed. Now, when hands are laid on me, the Bible's being acted upon, and I'm in faith. Thank you for healing my body. In Jesus' name, amen. Father, we thank you for healing. We thank you for laying hands on the sick. We thank you, Father, for the prayer of faith. We thank you for our own personal faith confession. We thank you, Father, for the anointings of God. All these different ways that we can receive healing. The gifts of healing, the working of miracles, our faith, the confession of our faith, walking in forgiveness and love, walking in clean, holy living. Father, all these different areas that help us stay healthy. Lord, we love you and thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.